Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Years ago, when I was in high school, <clears throat> a buddy and I were talking about uh, the world, and I, in passing, mentioned the return of Christ at the end of time. And I, I went to a Lutheran church, he went to a congregational church, and he kind of stopped me and said, what'd you say? I said, well, you know, when Jesus comes back, he said, he's coming back? <laughs> he had never heard in his church that Jesus Christ will return to this planet, raise the dead, and judge the world. This whole half hour, we're going to talk about what will happen at the end of time. What will happen at the second coming of Christ? I don't want to get too much into the details because Christians disagree on the details. But what I want to do is share with you now the basic truths that all Christians agree on regarding how the world will end. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we would pray now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher as we look at these scriptures, that people that don't know anything about the end of the world would be fully informed. And Lord, that, that it won't just be information for our head, but also for our hearts and where we need to change our lives to get ready for that last day. God, give us the grace to do that now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me share with you some basic truths about the second coming. Number one. Jesus will return personally. The, the Bible says the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. So notice, Jesus is returning personally himself. He's not going to send a prophet. He's not going to send uh, anybody else. Jesus himself is returning, returning to the planet. You remember when he uh, left this earth? It's called the Ascension. After Easter, what, 40, 50 days after Easter, he floats up into the sky and the disciples are staring into heaven. Two angels show up and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking in heaven? This man who went up to you will come back down in the same way as you saw him go up. So the first thing we're waiting for Jesus to do is personally, in the clouds, come down to end the world. Second thing to say about the second coming it's going to be very public. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. I remember a, an eighth grader in confirmation said to me, Pastor Brock, when Jesus comes back next time, how will I know him when he comes back? Where will he be born? And I said, no, you have a miss. Jesus won't be born on earth again. First time he came kind of quietly in a manger. Second time he's coming down in the clouds very publicly for everybody to see. So you're not going to, nobody's going to wonder who Jesus is next time he comes. Also, it says this. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, 
And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect, chosen ones, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to another, Matthew 24. Again, it's going to be very public, the second coming. Let's look at another verse. This comes from uh, Matthew 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So again, his return is not going to be a secret thing. When the Moonies come to your door selling carnations for the Unification Church, what they're doing is raising money for the Reverend Sung Myung Moon, who was born in Korea in 1920. He claims to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's not. How do we know he's not? Because he hasn't floated down in the clouds for every eye to see. Uh, so just uh, the first time Jesus came was quietly, not the second time. So he's coming down personally. He's coming down publicly next. This time he comes down. He's coming down powerfully with power at the second coming. One more thing to say about the second coming. He will also be coming down unexpectedly. Matthew 24, Jesus said, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There are many verses in the New Testament that talk about when Jesus comes down, it's going to be sudden, and he's going to take a lot of people by surprise. So while that's overwhelmingly true, that most people are going to be caught off guard by the second coming, yet, next slide, the second coming is related to certain events. Certain things are going to happen before he comes down, like the tribulation, a very difficult period. Uh, the Antichrist is going to arise before Jesus returns. The world will be evangelized before Jesus comes back, Matthew 24. And there will be many Jews converted to Christ before the second coming, Romans chapter 11. That's what happens before he comes down. And then Jesus comes down in the clouds, and here's what happens post-second coming. After the second coming, the dead will be raised on resurrection day. Then comes the millennium, what's called the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Then comes judgment day. You stand before him, and he judges you. And then the earth melts with fire, and we get the new heavens and the new earth. Now, um, the question would be, well, he says it's going to be unexpected, but then he tells us all these signs that are going to happen so you know when to expect it. Well, let me, let me put all this together. Here's the verse, 1 Thessalonians 5. The day of the Lord, second coming, will come like a thief in the night, unexpectedly. But you, Christians, that is, that know their scriptures, you are not in darkness, brethren, for that day is to surprise you like a thief. In other words, for the great majority of mankind, they will be caught off guard by the second coming. But for Christians who read their Bible, know the signs, they won't know the day or the hour he's coming back, but they'll know when it's close. All right. Let's, let's go now and take a closer look at what will happen before the return of Christ, the preceding events. Let's take a minute and talk about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is not going to call himself the Antichrist. He'll probably be a political leader. He is referred to in the Bible as the abomination of desolation, Matthew 24. He's called the beast in Revelation 13, and he's called the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The most thorough teaching we have about the Antichrist is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So I'm going to quickly take you through that. Everything you want to know about the Antichrist, here we go. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, 
Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the second coming, will not come unless the apostasy, that means the falling away from the truth, comes first. And the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed. He is the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, d displaying himself as being God. Let me stop here for a minute. Some Christians believe that verse means that the Jewish temple has to be rebuilt before the Antichrist can come and, and sit in the temple of God. And uh, if I see the Dome of the Rock over in Jerusalem blown up or an earthquake swallows it up and the Jews rebuilding their temple, then I'm going to start taking that verse very literally. It could mean just a symbolic way that this Antichrist will proclaim himself to be God uh, in that sense in the temple of God. But either way, uh, he's going to pretend deity. All right, next part of the verse. Um, and you know what restrains him, the Antichrist, now that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. When Paul wrote these words, what, 60 AD, there was an Antichrist spirit. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. In other words, Jesus will wipe him out at the second coming. That is, the one who's, in, who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. Uh, the Antichrist will have all power and signs and false wonders. He will come with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Notice there, the Antichrist will be able to do false miracles. People will worship him and follow him. Verse 11, for this reason, God will send upon them, the unbelievers, a deluding influence so that they may believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. I want you to notice what's happening in that verse. Christ comes and, and or these unbelievers hear about Christ and they reject him. And so God says, okay, then you're going to be deceived. And when the Antichrist comes, the unbelievers, because they rejected Christ, are deluded in following the Antichrist. A few more points about the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be worshipped, Revelation 13. He will demand total allegiance of his subjects and will use economic sanctions to compel submission. You've heard about the mark of the beast, the mark on the forehead, the mark on the forehand, 666. If you don't follow the Antichrist, people won't sell or trade with you. And that begins what's called the period of the Great Tribulation, a very difficult time on earth for all, but it's going to be a... a especially bad eventually for the unbelievers because God's divine judgments will be poured upon Satan and his followers. That's the seven bowls of Revelation 16. And then at the end of the tribulation comes Jesus himself. Like we said before, he returns personally, he returns powerfully, and he will return visibly. Now, <coughs> are we living in the end times? I don't know. Christians have thought they were in the end times for 2,000 years. But I think some indicators are, Jesus said the world has to be evangelized before he comes back. Almost every country in the world now has missionaries. Uh, Romans 11 talks about a conversion of the Jews before the end. Jews for Jesus is now an international movement, so there are a number of Jews coming to Christ. The fact that Israel is a nation again, 
Uh, the, the Bible prophecy talks about a big last war being around Jerusalem and, and against Israel. Well, Israel wasn't, wasn't a nation from 70 A.D. all the way till 1948. They became a nation again in 1948. So those Old Testament prophecies about Armageddon and the last war against Israel, it's ready to take place. It looks like it's going to take place the way that the, uh, the Middle East situation keeps going. So uh, I don't know that we're in the end times, but we sure could be. All right, let's, let's talk about a few more things that will happen uh, at the second coming. The next thing is called the rapture. The word rapture means to be caught up. The word appears once in the New Testament. I don't want to spend too much time on this. A lot of Christians, if you've read those uh, books, what are they called? The Tim LaHaye books about the second coming. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting. They're a big, huge, popular series right now. Uh, some people believe that all the Christians disappear and go to heaven, and then seven years of horror comes, and, and then Jesus comes back. I don't believe that. I believe the rapture happens. I think we're caught up when Jesus comes down. I think Christians, we're here till the bitter end. We're promised persecution in this world. So I believe the rapture happens when Jesus comes down. That's when we're caught up, not seven years earlier and get to miss the bad stuff. That's, that's, uh, that's my view, but Christians hold different views on that. Then comes the resurrection of the dead. When Jesus raises our bodies into new bodies, and then we all come before his throne on Judgment Day, and we are judged. Now let's explain Judgment Day. We will be judged according to our works. It's called the Book of Works, and God will see everything you've ever done. And I believe if you're judged strictly by the Book of Works, by what you've done, you go to hell, because we've all sinned. Gratefully, there's a second book that God takes out on Judgment Day called the Book of Life. And those who trusted in Jesus Christ, it says their names were written in the Book of Life before the foundation of the world. And if God sees you turn from your sin and you trusted Jesus to forgive your sins, then by his grace you are saved because he has put your name in the Book of Life. Uh, then comes what's called the Millennium. If, if you read Revelation chapter 20, Jesus comes down at the second coming and reigns on the earth for a thousand years. There are three views Christians hold about the millennium. One is called the, the pre-millennium. Uh, that is that the millennium happens. Christ reigning on earth for a thousand years happens a thousand years before he comes down. It's a symbolic reigning through the church. And some people think the present age, we're in the church age. Jesus is reigning and that he'll come down. And, and so it's a pre-millennialism. Not many people hold that view. I think it's a little crazy myself, but that's uh, one view. A second view is called post-millennial. That is, the millennium happens after Jesus comes down. So he comes down, and then for a thousand years he reigns on the earth. That's the one I tend to believe from Revelation 20. But some people are what are called amillennialists, meaning no millennium. And this is kind of, I'm a Lutheran pastor, and this is pretty much what most Lutherans have held to, uh, which is there's not going to be a literal millennium, and they would argue the book of Revelation is a vision after all. You don't press all the details in the book of Revelation. And, and the one thing they've got going for them on amillennialism, everywhere else in the New Testament, it seems, when Jesus comes down, it's over. But in Revelation 20, you've got Jesus coming down, reigning on earth for a thousand years, and then the devil's let out of his pit and deceives the nations, and they're destroyed. So uh, 
you know, I, I'm, it, it's not all of this is easy to understand. And believe me, this is not something to split a church over. Sometimes churches split over ah, pre, post, millennial. It's not that important. The big deal is Jesus is coming back and be ready for it. Okay. Uh, the last couple things I want us to talk about are the very last things that will happen at the second coming. The doctrine of hell and then the doctrine of heaven. Let's talk about the biblical teaching now of hell. Here we go. Hell is a place of eternal fire. It's the lake of fire which punishes Satan, the beast, that's the Antichrist, the false prophets. Oh, I didn't talk to you about him. He's the Antichrist number one man. And then all the unsaved, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Jesus says, Evildoers will be thrown into the furnace of fire. And Jesus said that those who have not shown charity to Christ and his brothers will enter, quote, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food, etc. Now let me, let me just talk to you about this. I, I used to be a liberal. And I, I read my Bible, but I didn't like the teaching about hell. So I remember in, in high school arguing with my pastor, if you were born in China, you'd be a Buddhist too. Or such, such, such. And he said, Tom, the Bible talks about hell, so there's a hell. Then I go to college, and I got into a Bible study with a bunch of Baptist-type people, and they kept insisting there's a hell. So I reread the New Testament my first year in college. Every time it mentioned hell, I wrote it down. By the end of that year, my mind changed. Let me say this. You might not like the doctrine of hell, but if you say you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, you need to believe what Jesus said. And Jesus said a lot about hell. Count the number of times Jesus mentions judgment and hell and eternal punishment. It's in the book. And today, I believe in a heaven and a hell. And it was only when I started believing in hell that I really started evangelizing my friends and talking to them about Jesus. So there is a place called hell. Let me define hell. Hell is the banishment from the presence and the blessings of God in Christ. Hell is when Jesus says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. So what is hell? Hell is where Jesus isn't, and you don't want to be there. Uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, says this, Those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus shall suffer the punishment of eternal destruction and exclusion from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. So there is a place called hell. And a few more points about hell. Annihilationism is not taught. Annihilationism is the heresy that when you die, if you're not a Christian, you just get wiped out and you don't exist forever. But they don't believe in that there's this eternal punishment going on. Well, if you read Mark 9:48, Revelation 20, verse 10, and Luke 16, verse 19, you go to hell, and in Luke 16, this man isn't annihilated. He's down in hell, and he's begging to get out. So you really can't hold to annihilationism and, and, and be holding to the biblical doctrine of hell. Another thought. Purgatory is not taught in the Bible. The Bible talks about eternal heaven. The Bible talks about eternal hell. The Bible never talks about a place called purgatory. That's why I don't believe in purgatory. That's why I don't believe in indulgences, because it's, none of that is in the Bible. 
All right, let's turn now and talk about the biblical doctrine of heaven. Heaven is a place. It's not merely an inward state. Some people say, well, I think you make your own heaven and hell on this earth. No, you don't. When you die, there's a place called heaven. There's a place called hell. The place in heaven, uh, heaven is, is in Revelation is pictured as a golden city, the new Jerusalem floating down out of heaven. Heaven's a place. It's an actual place. Next thing to say about heaven, nothing unclean shall enter it. It is a place free of sin. You won't even be tempted to sin up in heaven. Your, your personality, your character will be so transformed, you won't have to put up with your temptations anymore. Also, heaven is released from suffering. It says in, in Revelation 21, God himself will be with them and will be their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be crying anymore nor pain anymore. So in heaven you won't have hospitals, you won't have nursing homes, you won't have jails. All the suffering we've got in this world, it's all gone in the next. Also, heaven has rewards. There are varying degrees of reward determined by your service rendered. Let's explain this here. The only way you get into heaven is by grace, by what Jesus did on the cross. You can't earn your way into heaven at all. It's only by his death and payment for your sins that you get into heaven. But once you get into heaven, God will reward us according to our deeds. And, and those Christians that fully live their lives for God will have great rewards in heaven. Those Christians who get into heaven by the grace of God but didn't live for Christ like they could have, they'll be in heaven, but they won't have the rewards they could have had. There's a, <clears throat> there's a story of a, a woman who dies, a wealthy woman who dies, and St. Peter comes and shows her a nice little cottage by the road and said, Madam, this is where you'll be spending eternity. She looks across the street and sees this huge mansion on the other side of the road. Well, St. Peter, who gets to live there? Well, that's for your chauffeur. For my chauffeur, how come I have to live here and he gets to live there? Well, madam, we build your home up here with the materials that you sent ahead of you while you were on earth. <laughs> so, you know, we all get to heaven by grace alone. But according to the Bible, uh, Matthew uh, 25, uh, Luke 19, 1 Corinthians 3, there will be varying degrees of reward in heaven. Here are some of the rewards that everybody gets in heaven. You get to eat off the tree of life. Do you remember the tree of life? That was that tree in the Garden of Eden that they couldn't eat off of. Now you get to eat off it. You'll have victory over the second death. You'll have uh, authority over the nations. You'll be arrayed with uh, Christ in white garments. You'll, excuse me, you'll sit with Christ on his throne. So those are some of the rewards. In heaven, heaven will be realization. All the things that we just partially got down here will get totally up there. We'll have fullness of knowledge. All your questions will be answered in heaven. We'll have perfect worship. You get a glimpse of good worship at your church, hopefully now, but one day you'll be totally in the worship of God. We'll have perfect fellowship with God. We'll finally have holiness of character. We won't have to fight our sin nature anymore. And we will have association and fellowship with Jesus Christ himself. A couple other things about heaven. You won't be married in heaven. Do you understand that? Uh, because you don't have to repopulate heaven because nobody dies up there, we won't need to have marriage and children. Uh, when you die, you'll, you'll be uh, single, but you'll be happy because <laughs> you, you'll be so in love with God, you won't need your husband. Now, the, the number one question I get asked, 
Will I know my husband in heaven? Will I know that was my daughter in heaven? Will I know grandma in heaven? I think the answer to that is yes, because Jesus said, you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if I'm going to see Isaac, who I've never laid eyes on, and know that's Isaac, how much more will I know my grandma Lowski, who was a believer in Christ? There, there's grandma Lowski. See, but you won't, be, you won't be married to these people and have the same relationship you had with them, but I think you will know them in heaven. Let me just uh, share this. Here's a mother dying in the hospital. She knew she was dying. And she called her sons to her side. And she called her first son and she said, John, in my Bible at home are my final instructions. Uh, you're the responsible one. I know I can trust you to carry them out. Bend down and kiss mother goodnight. She called her second son to her side and she said, Tony, you're the one who's been the most loving to mother. You and your wife tried to nurse me back to health these last six months in your home. You'll never know how much I appreciate that. Bend down and kiss mother goodnight. She called her third son to her side and she said, Jeffrey, you're the youngest in the family. You've always been the closest to mother, but now you'll have to go it alone. I know you can. Bend down and kiss mother goodnight. She had one more son, very finely dressed, standing a bit of a distance from the rest of them. She called him to her side and she said, David, mother knows who's paid for all the hospital bills. You've given me the best medical care on earth. You'll never know how much I appreciate that. Bend down and kiss mother goodbye. And as he's bending down to kiss her, it occurs to him what she said. And he said, mother, why do you say good night to my brothers, but goodbye to me? And she said, David, I will see your brothers again. But I have told you time after time how to have eternal life in heaven, and you've never listened, and I will never see your face again. And the story goes, he took her hand and said, Mother, tell me one more time. And she told him how God came down from heaven to die on the cross, to pay for the sins of guilty men and women, and all who believe in the Lord Jesus will be saved. And he squeezed her hand and said, Mother, I do believe. I do believe. And she said, bend down and kiss Mother good night." If you're a Christian, when you go to a Christian funeral, you're not, if the person was a Christian that you're going to, you're not saying goodbye. You're just saying good night, and you'll see them in the morning. Let me just quickly close with this. We've been talking about the second coming of Christ. Let me read a poem. "'Twas the night before Jesus came and all through the house. Not a creature was praying, not one in the house. Their Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not once ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom in her rocker with baby on her lap watched the late show and took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away with the window I flew like a flash, tore open the sutters, threw open the slash. But what to my wondering eyes should appear but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment this was the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning, just as he said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. 
I hope that will not be your experience. Turn to Christ today so you're ready for the second coming. Amen. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Music.